Thank you so much. Well, it is a great privilege to get to be with you again uh, today. Uh, how are y'all doing out there? <laughs> I'm from Texas, so we say y'all a lot. <laughs> Although I didn't grow up in Texas, but it's still a part of me. Um, so, man, it is, it is incredible uh, to get to be with you guys. God is doing so many things, man, throughout Northeast Africa, and I'm very grateful for the fact that you guys are engaging. You're locking arms with us at Empower One to help us ignite a movement like never before in Ye South Sudan. Uh, as Tim shared, I'm with uh, Empower One. Uh, Empower One is a church planning network that I get to lead throughout Northeast Africa. We started 15 years ago out of First Baptist Kajukeji, South Sudan. Uh, you may or may not have heard the Pope is actually in South Sudan right now. We're hoping that's a good thing and not a, not a bad thing. But uh, with South Sudan, man, South Sudan always has conflict. And uh, Kajukeji, uh, which is in the west, it's further west uh, from, from Ye uh, in South Sudan, just had 14 men killed over a dispute over cattle. Um, there's a lot of issues with cattle uh, in South Sudan. It's kind of like the... Uh, the Old West was uh, here in the U.S. at one time. And so some of us pray that, man, the cattle would just be removed from South Sudan so that there wouldn't be any more conflict. But uh, so if you will, pray for uh, those families who've lost uh, brothers and husbands and, and fathers there in, in Kajukeji. Well, today I want us to look at Luke 13, 6 through 9. Luke 13, 6 through 9. Uh, which is a, a famous parable that Jesus uh, taught of the, the barren fig tree. And uh, the title of my message today is God's plan for multiplication. Uh, as we're talking about church multiplication, I want us to dive in and really discover what is God's plan for multiplication. If we're going to build the Kurt Breland Church Multiplication Center uh, together, what does that look like? So before we do that, let's pray. Well, Father, I thank you so much for First Baptist Norfolk. Father, I thank you for the, the Thomases, the Whitneys, the Harpers, the Eisenhowers, and the Breelands, Lord. I thank you for all the many families here, Lord, that, that you've raised up, Father, to serve you. I thank you for these brothers and sisters who are gathered here today, Father, to worship you. Lord, we know that we can do nothing apart from you. And so, Father, I pray that as we look at your plan for multiplication, Father, you'll give us your strategies, Father, your dreams. Father, make your strategies our strategies. Father, thank you for the faithfulness of these believers. In your precious name I pray, amen. Well, uh, Luke 13, six through nine, let's read that together. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you cut it down. You know, this is a great example of what it looks like to not bear fruit. Um, and uh, it's a tragic reality. And I'm, and I'm sure, as you know, uh, I have friends who are believers 
who've, who've never led anybody to, to Christ. Um, I know of missionaries who may have been spent 30 years in a country and never led anyone to Christ. And, and so, you know, that's the, the, that's the opposite of God's plan for multiplication. Uh, but the, the beauty of being a believer is Jesus walks with us. And we see this when Jesus invested in the disciples, right? Jesus took the men that he invested in for three years and then released them. But he invested them in three years to prepare them to, to multiply. Um, that was the whole point of his investment in them, in them was so that they would go out and multiply. And we, we see that happening throughout the Gospels, right? The, the 12 disciples soon multiplied to 72. And we know that, that Jesus was filled with joy when that happened, when they, they multiplied to that, that great amount. In that very moment, man, Jesus knew that his movement had begun. The multiplication had begun. Multiplication is urgent to Jesus because he knows that only healthy things multiply and dead things don't. Churches are very similar to trees in this way. The reason why I wanted us to look at this passage is, is I've seen in, in over 40 years of being on the mission field and being in part of churches that there are some similarities, right? Ingrained in every church is the natural DNA to multiply, right? That is God's plan. That is God's purpose. And you at First Norfolk has been very faithful to do that. I know that having worked with you for the last decade, you guys have been great at obeying uh, that commandment to multiply, to bear fruit. Churches, uh, man, have deep roots and there's an unmistakable ability to reproduce. So why is it that so few churches out there fail to multiply. Well, if you read the Gospels, you'll find something that will shake you to your core. Every time Jesus speaks to someone or a group that refused to multiply, his tone becomes very stern, right? We see this in Matthew seven seventeen, where Jesus said, every good tree bears good fruit. But in Matthew seven nineteen, Jesus says, every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In other words, it's worthless. It's only good for kindling on a bonfire. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I have uh, this fire pit in the, the back of uh, our house. Uh, we, in fact, we have more than one. We love fire pits in our house. I've, uh, three boys and a little girl, and man, their favorite thing to do is go out to our patio and light a fire. And we sit around and enjoy uh, drinking coffee, roasted marshmallows, whatever it is around that fire. But you know, when you start the fire and you put the kindling on there on top, the first thing that burns up is the kindling. It goes like that in seconds, right? That's the opposite of what happens when you start a church multiplication center. Church multiplication centers last for generations, for hundreds of years. They impact uh, man, a city, a country, a whole continent sometimes for the gospel. And in this parable of the, the barren fig tree, we learn about an owner of a vineyard who walks by examining the fruit that's being produced. And we know that he notices that the fig tree is not bearing fruit. He quickly tells the vine dresser to cut the tree down, and the vine dresser begs the owner, for the tree's life and says, man, give me another year. Let me put manure around 
that tree so that it will bear fruit. Uh, let that sink in for a little bit. Let that marinate for a little bit. What does your life look like now? Who are you investing in? Who are you sharing your faith with? What kind of fruit are you producing in your own life? I have a good friend uh, who is a missions pastor in Temple Terrace, Florida. Uh, you, you may or may not know this, but Temple Terrace has many Sudanese families there, many tribes from Sudan that live there. My friend Zach Moussa, who's from Niger, uh, he and I only speak French together when we talk. <laughs> and uh, man, he is an evangelist like I've never seen before. He led 46 Muslims to Christ last year. Uh, including one Sudanese imam. You know, people always look at me funny when I'm teaching uh, uh, them how to lead Muslims to Christ, and I talk about leading an imam to, to Christ. They're like, that's impossible. How can you do that? Well, I'll tell you, Zach did it <laughs> with a Sudanese imam. That's a sure way to change a mosque, let me tell you, in your neighborhood, is to lead the imam to Christ. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so he, he did that last year. Man, he is sharing his faith all over Temple Terrace, uh, at the gas station, at the grocery store, wherever he goes, he is sharing his faith. And his pastor, Paul Purvis, who's actually the president of the Florida Baptist Convention, was telling me, he said, Chad, if this table could follow Christ, Zach would try to convert it. <laughs> he is just, he is prolific. He'll be getting gas and God will tell him, he goes, share your faith with that person and he'll, he'll do that. He's obedient. Man, we should all be like that. We should all be actively sharing our faith as uh, we go about our, our neighborhood and go about our day, our daily rhythm. Um, as we look at um, the strategy of the Church Multiplication Center, something I want to share with you is that one of the ways that Zach, Zach became so prolific at sharing his faith was going on mission trips and doing something that I call the infinity loop. Uh, the infinity loop is when you go and learn on a mission trip. You go on a mission trip to Yay, South Sudan, for example, and man, God teaches you something that you would have never learned otherwise. You would have never learned having stayed right here in Norfolk or in Denton, Texas, where I'm from. <laughs> and, and so when you do that, when you go on a mission trip, man, God meets you. He teaches you something that you can apply back here. And then you come back home and you apply that and you're a better missionary right here in Norfolk in your community among the people you work with, among uh, the people that you uh, play pickleball with or, or you know, whatever sport you, you play. Man, it makes you a better missionary when you do that. And back and forth over and over and over again, there's this uh, opportunity that we have. Let me tell you, September 15th through 25th, Tim and I are leading a mission trip from First Baptist Norfolk to Yay, South Sudan. And you can sign up for that today and actually come and learn how to share your faith in Ye South Sudan. Uh, the, the leaders there, Banja Benjamin and Ayume Richard, who are, are leading what's going to be the church uh, multiplication center there, the Kurt Breland Church Multiplication Center, are actively sharing their faith. They're going door to door. I mentioned a couple of Sundays ago, man, that they're sharing their faith with hundreds of people, and they continue to do that. Not only going door to door, but through playing soccer or football, as it's called there. Um, they say that that's the real football. 
right? <laughs> but uh, they're actively sharing their faith in markets, and there's all kinds of creative ways that you can share your faith that we will teach you how to do if you come with us. And then you can come and apply that back here in Norfolk, in your neighborhood, among your community. So as, as we think about that, as we think about, hey, how do we produce fruit? How do we go out and share our faith? Um, you know, we need to realize that, that how often does God have to wait on us to multiply our lives? How often is God waiting on us to, to do that? And, you know, there's nothing that will speed that up more than a mission trip, than going overseas, going to Yesa Sudan and see how easy it is to share your faith, how relaxed the people are, how laid back they are, but how hungry they are for the gospel, right? Because they are living a religion that is... Uh, devoid of hope. They're living without the hope of Jesus Christ that, that we have. And, and so, you know, they're practicing all these works-based religion. And so when we come with the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, man, they are hungry and they're ready to accept Jesus. And when you do that in South Sudan, you'll realize, hey, why am I not doing that in Norfolk? Why am I not sharing my faith uh, when I go grocery shopping or when I buy gas or among my, my neighbors? Right? And, and over and over again, there's this principle called the infinity loop that helps grow that. You know, I've often found that when uh, my Muslim friends accept Christ, that they start producing fruit right away. Right away. I mean, they're, they're fearless. They're not afraid of persecution or even losing their lives. But they're so concerned about their brothers and sisters, their mothers and fathers, their, their cousins and their neighbors who are dying and going to hell, that they will sacrifice their life and put themselves in danger to show their faith. And it's because they have lived for so long with this works-based religion that is Islam. And when they discover Christ and they discover the, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, I mean, they're ready to go share. I've been sharing my faith with Muslims for about 42 years now, since I was eight years old. Uh, I started in Abidjan, Ivory Coast. Ivory Coast is a country between Ghana and Liberia on the Gulf of Africa. And when I was a kid there, it was 98% Muslim. Uh, still today, when you, um, you walk out of the airport, you'll see Muslims praying in the parking lot. Uh, that's how many Muslims there are there. And uh, the little four foot five IMB church planner, Dion Robert, who's he, from Ivory Coast there, uh, who led me to Christ. Dion said, Chad, you are li- living among Muslims. You're living in a neighborhood where there are many, many Muslims, 98% Muslim. You need to share your faith with your Muslim friends. So I did. Uh, there was a man named Mamadou. Uh, Mamadou is the West African version of Muhammad, so there's lots of Mamadous throughout West Africa. But uh, so Mamadou and I began to have this conversation. And you know, I was eight years old. And let me just say, if I could share my faith at eight years old, anybody can share their faith, right? <laughs> it's, not, it's not that, that hard. But I'd just become a believer. And, and so I wanted to, to share with him what God was doing in my life. And of course, he wanted to share what he believed as a Muslim. And so he, being 30 years old and me at eight years old, we began this conversation back and forth uh, every day during the week, Monday through Friday. We, we would talk. He would, do, he would uh, bring his prayer rug in and, and do his prayers in our house. And, and back and forth, we would talk. He would, he would watch me 
uh, live out my faith. He'd watch me mess up and, you know, uh, have to repent. And, uh, and over and over again, we would share back and forth what he believed when I believed. And after two years, he became a believer. And man, at 10 years old, I realized it is possible for a Muslim to become a Christian. And man, for the next 40 years, God has allowed me to share my faith with Muslim friends. Uh, another story I'd love to tell you, I was um, on staff at the oldest mosque in Madrid, Spain, the Abu Bakr Mosque there. And uh, they hired me as their Jesus expert there. <laughs> and uh, believe it or not, they still allow me to do this today. I was there uh, last year about the same time. Uh, and they allowed me to, to teach mission pastors how to do what I did there. But um, uh, we'd come in with uh, the, the Bible and teach 20 uh, Muslim men about the truth of the Bible. As you know, Jesus asked 307 questions. He was asked 183 questions, and he only answered three. And so I've been on this quest for many years to ask really good questions. One of my favorite questions to ask my Muslim friends is, where was Muhammad buried? Oh, Muhammad was born in Mecca. He was buried in Medina. And so oftentimes they'll say Medina. And so I'll say, man, thank you for letting me know. Where's Jesus buried? And instantly they realize there's a difference. Hey, maybe Jesus is greater than Muhammad. And man, it begins this ongoing conversation of them realizing that Jesus is more than a prophet, but he's the savior. And uh, so, man, you will have this opportunity uh, traveling with us to South Sudan to share with not only Muslims, but uh, Catholics and many people who are practicing uh, works-based religion. You know, those of us who have grown up in, in Christian homes often take for granted the relationship uh, which, that we have with Jesus, which, which often makes us slow to obey. Uh, our African brothers and sisters, man, I'm always amazed at how quickly they obey. When I, when I teach, I teach a three-hour class called Strategic Bridges for Muslim Evangelism that uh, is actually taught at Southwestern in Spanish now, Southwestern Seminary. And, uh, and so it, when I teach that class, I always give people the opportunity to go out and into their neighborhood and go into the mosque and the tea rooms and the restaurants and begin gospel conversations. And man, not only do these African pastors go out and do that, but then they bring the Muslims back to the church wherever we're teaching and saying, hey, come to the church. And they gather there together and show them what it means to be believers. The reason they do that is because often one of the questions that Muslims ask is, if I become a believer, am I going to be treated as well in the church as I am in the mosque? Am I going to be treated as well? as I am in the mosque. And so we want to show them that they'll be treated even better than they are in the mosque. Well, in another parable found in Matthew 25, 14 through 30, Jesus tells a story of three servants that receive a certain amount of money to invest during their master's absence. So it's a servant who did nothing with the, the money that he received that was severely punished. Even what he already had was taken away. And then finally, we find Jesus traveling into Jerusalem during his last week on earth in Mark 11, 12 through 14. Jesus passes by a barren fig tree and he curses the, the tree because it was not bearing fruit. So to Jesus, it's a serious thing to not bear fruit. It's a serious sin not to multiply. 
And it's a serious thing to be a barren church that never multiplies. One thing is crystal clear. And if you don't remember anything that I've said today, remember this. One thing is crystal clear. In Jesus' mind, fruitfulness and spiritual multiplication are not only expected, but also necessary. Because without multiplication, there is no movement. Without multiplication, there is no movement. And if you want to continue the legacy that you've already started at First Baptist Norfolk, and again, I've been walking with you for a decade, so I know, man, you guys are amazing. As you continue to do that in Northeast Africa, and we continue to go to the hardest place in Africa, which is in Sudan and South Sudan there, man, we have to follow Jesus's uh, plan for multiplication. So how do churches begin to multiply? Well, beyond uh, doing the uh, infinity loop there, which is personal multiplication, you take that and go. You, you go overseas and you share your faith there. Man, you guys are blessed to be at First Baptist Norfolk because you know what church multiplication looks like, right? But there are three things that are, that are vital for a church to multiply. And the first one is personal multiplication. So personal multiplication occurs when one person leads another person to Christ and invests their life in them to help them grow. This is what Paul meant in 2 Timothy 2, 2, when he said, "...and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also." That's who we are at Empower One. We're practicing 2 Timothy 2.2 all over Northeast Africa, right? And you'll get to do that with us. You can see a a map here that shows all of these church multiplication centers that we're planning throughout the area. There are 15 church multiplication centers. We've already planted 750 plus churches in 15 years. Uh, And my job at Empower One is to help us reach 750 more in the next 10 years through these church multiplication centers. And man, it is a privilege to get to do this. I lead a cohort with uh, some of the leaders of our church multiplication centers. And let me tell you, man, they are sold out for church multiplication. Man, they are sharing their faith. They are boldly proclaiming the gospel in ways that the people of South Sudan can understand and respond to. You'll see uh, Yay there on the map at the bottom uh, left there. Uh, you'll see that, or I guess bottom right for you guys. <laughs> but uh, that's where the, the church multiplication center that we're building together, the Kurt Brilliant Church Multiplication Center will be. And um, man, they are actively going door to door, sharing their faith. They're practicing personal multiplication in this area. And they're investing in disciples that make disciples throughout the area. We even have church planners who uh, are are leading five to ten guys to be the next church planners in the area. And so, you know, we're we're working on creating that kind of multiplication. You know, when David Fortier and I had the dream of the church multiplication center that's called La Chapelle in Montreal that you guys know very well, we began dreaming about maps just like this. In fact, we bought a, a little paper map at a convenience store and started putting tacks on it, dreaming of of where churches might be. And um, that Uh, was done through small groups at La Chapelle. And we're doing the same thing here in Empower One. So that's group multiplication, right? When when groups of believers grow to about 12 people and then begin to multiply throughout a city, throughout a region, that's group multiplication. That's a second form of multiplication that's required for church multiplication to happen. 
Because what happens is when you start seeing those small groups grow and multiply, those are future church plants. And you start seeing the leaders of those small groups become future church planters. And man, when an area is saturated with churches, man, it's transformed by the gospel. And that's our dream for South Sudan and Sudan. The believers there are praying that God will unite their country again and it would become a Christian nation. And so um, I'm asking you today to, to join us in, in praying for that. But that's group multiplications. When those groups multiply and man, they transform an area. We see this in Acts uh, 2.46. We see the early church doing this. In Acts 2.46, we read, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So it's clear that the early church was gathering in the temple corporately, but they were also gathering in small groups in homes around the city. So as, as I said, as small groups grow, right, leaders are raised and those groups become future churches. And then finally, there's church multiplication, right? When those groups grow and multiply and mature, uh, then they can become churches. And those churches begin to multiply in other locations. And we see clearly in the book of Acts as the believers in the church spread the gospel and started churches throughout Israel, Samaria, and beyond to the ends of the earth. The early church is described as a multiplying church in the book of Acts since in just two years they had filled Jerusalem with their teaching, as we see in Acts 5.8. Today, I would call that a church multiplication center, right? That's what they were, were doing. In only four and a half years, the churches were multiplying rapidly, as we read about it in Acts 9.31. In 19 years, they had turned the world upside down, as we see in Acts 17.6. Then finally, in 28 years, the gospel had spread all over the world, as we see in Colossians 1.56. So all three types of multiplication are vital for church multiplication to happen. And you're doing that right here in, at First Norfolk. Let me tell you, if you come with Tim and I to Yay, South Sudan, September 15th to 25th, you will get uh, immersed in church multiplication. You will get an experience that you'll never forget that you can bring back and apply here uh, at home. And man, we'll keep doing this over and over and over again as this church multiplication center is built. The church multiplication center costs $160,000. And so I'm so grateful to you guys for investing in this because what you're investing in is the next generation of, of leaders there in Ye South Sudan. Right? We're hoping and praying that these church multiplication centers last for 100 years. I don't know about you, but I'm probably not going to be around in, in 100 years. Uh, we won't get to see that, right? But, but we will know that our investment is multiplying over and over again and transforming South Sudan with the gospel. Uh, and man, as we think about Northeast Africa, ingrained in First Baptist Norfolk is the DNA to multiply. I know it. Like I said, I've been with you for the last decade, and I've seen that happen over and over and over again. And ingrained in this church is the DNA to multiply churches in Northeast Africa. And so with your help, we can create a movement that lasts for generations to come. So let's unpack what it means to empower a church planting movement. What does that look like? Well, there are three things that we need to do as a church together. First, we need to pray. Next, participate. And then finally, provide. So the, the power of prayer is what ignites church planting movements. 
Man, the, you can't plant churches in places where, where there's extreme lostness without the power of prayer. And we, we, I've seen that over and over again growing up on the mission field. Uh, man, it, nothing can happen without prayer. So it starts with, with prayer. And so as you're, as you're praying uh, for our movement, I want you to, to first begin praying for David Kaya. David Kaya is our Sudanese co-founder. Uh, he planted First Baptist Kaju Keji. Uh, in South Sudan, which is where all the, the conflict has just happened recently. I mentioned those 14 men that were killed over cattle. Um, when those killings happened, what happened is all the people sought refuge in First Baptist Kajukeji, the church that he planted. And so the church has become a refuge, right? It would be like if those people all came into the sanctuary together to seek refuge right here, uh, there in, in Kajukeji. And so, man, this, this brother has a vision. He's the one uh, in the summer of 2021 who first had the vision for church multiplication centers through Empower One Church Planners. Next is Juba. As you pray for South Sudan, Juba is the capital of South Sudan. Uh, Juba was voted the worst airport in the world. There's a reason for that, <laughs> right? There, there's extreme lostness, extreme amount of Muslims there. And so pray for, for Juba, South Sudan. And next, so for these brothers, so standing next to me is Banja Benjamin. In Africa, they say the last name first. So here we would say Benjamin Banja, <laughs> but pray for Pastor Benjamin. Uh, next to him is Matt Jones, who's my colleague who he and I teach together quite a bit. Next to him is our brother Emma, Pastor Emma Lomo in Juba, South Sudan, who's in the cohort that I teach. He's over Ye and Yambio. And he planted a church called Gure Baptist Church in Juba. And then next to him is Richard Ayume, and who's the associate pastor at the, what's going to be the Kurt Breland Church Multiplication Center. So now that you see their faces, man, please pray for them as they're sharing the gospel. Pray for their, their health, their marriages, their families as they, they share their minister there to the people of Ye. Uh, this is the, the road that you take to walk to our land there. Uh, they have cleared the land, so it looks not better than that now. <laughs> They've cleared all the grass, but they're waiting to build the foundation. They're waiting to build the Church Multiplication Center until we have the $160,000. And so today, you have the opportunity to give towards this Church Multiplication Center. You can give online uh, by indicating that you're giving to the Kurt Breland Church Multiplication Center or just Church Multiplication Center, CMC. You can write a check and give on, uh, the, in the boxes on the side of the wall. Uh, but man, it is an opportunity to seize the day and to build this incredible Church Multiplication Center here in Yay. Right now on the land, all we have is a borehole with a water pump. And so we're offering free water to all the area. We're also doing uh, conferences and using football or uh, what we call soccer there. Uh, they say, of course, football uh, is, uh, or soccer is the real football there. So, uh, but uh, man, God is uh, being proclaimed and man, the gospel is being proclaimed there through conferences. And so this is what teaching looks like in, in one of the, the churches uh, there nearby. 
And uh, of course, after we teach, we usually have Boone together. Boone is spelled B-U-N. It's a really strong coffee with ginger in it. And so if you know Pastor Eric and I love coffee, and so, <laughs> so you, we'll make sure you get some of that. You can take that home. Uh, this is something you can pick up in uh, the, the back on the table uh, right outside the sanctuary. Uh, it shows you the, the cost of all that we're building. And then uh, this is what the Kurt Breland Church Publication Center will look like in the future. It'll look something like that when we built it. And then these are the results that God has uh, created through our Power One church planners last year. That's just in one year. And so, man, all of that's available at the table to pick up and you can see and, and pray about investing in this church publication center. So, man, all you have to do is give. All you have to do is sign up for the September mission trip. It's as easy as that. It's as easy as obeying the Great Commission. You know, uh, how many of y'all have ever been to Israel? Okay, great. So you know, you've probably been to Mount Arbel, where Jesus gave the, the Great Commission. And as you look out on Mount Arbel, man, it's this beautiful view of uh, the, the mountains. And man, you, you, just, you can visualize Jesus giving the Great Commission and saying, go and make disciples of all nations. And man, Jesus hasn't changed his mind, right? He didn't change his mind because of COVID or because of un, unrest or disunity in the world. He still has commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations. And so we have to use our passports, right? We all have, if you don't have a passport, get one. But we can't stop using our passports to go and share the gospel in South Sudan. Let's pray. Well, Father, I thank you for this body of believers. Lord, I thank you for First Baptist Norfolk and the way you've uniquely equipped them, Father, to multiply churches that multiply churches, to make disciples that make disciples. So, Father, I thank you for the privilege of serving together in Ye South Sudan. And Father, as we give and go together, Father, I pray that you would prepare the way as you always do. That you would go before us and prepare the hearts of the people who are going to hear your truth. In your precious name I pray. Amen.